Chapter fourteen of Biographia Literaria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Biographia Literaria by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Chapter fourteen. Occasion of the Lyrical Ballads and the Objects Originally Proposed. Preface to the Second Edition. The Ensuing Controversy Its Causes and Acrimony philosophic definitions of a poem and poetry with scholia during the first year that mr wordsworth and i were neighbours our conversations turned frequently on the two cardinal points of poetry the power of exciting the sympathy of the reader by a faithful adherence to the truth of nature and the power of giving the interest of novelty by the modifying colours of imagination the sudden charm which accidents of light and shade which moonlight or sunset diffused over a known and familiar landscape appeared to represent the practicability of combining both these are the poetry of nature the thought suggested itself to which of us i do not recollect that a series of poems might be composed of two sorts in the one the incidents and agents were to be in part at least supernatural and the excellence aimed at was to consist in the interesting of the affections by the dramatic truth of such emotions as would naturally accompany such situations supposing them real and real in this sense they have been to every human being who from whatever source of delusion has at any time believed himself under supernatural agency for the second class subjects were to be chosen from ordinary life the characters and incidents were to be such as will be found in every village and its vicinity where there is a meditative and feeling mind to seek after them or to notice them when they present themselves in this idea originated the plan of the lyrical ballads in which it was agreed that my endeavours should be directed to persons and characters supernatural or at least romantic yet so as to transfer from our inward nature a human interest and a semblance of truth sufficient to procure for these shadows of imagination that willing suspension of disbelief for the moment which constitutes poetic faith mr wordsworth on the other hand was to propose to himself as his object to give the charm of novelty to things of every day and to excite a feeling analogous to the supernatural by awakening the mind's attention to the lethargy of custom and directing it to the loveliness and the wonders of the world before us an inexhaustible treasure but for which in consequence of the film of familiarity and selfish solicitude we have eyes yet see not ears that hear not and hearts that neither feel nor understand with this view i wrote the ancient mariner and was preparing among other poems the dark lady and the christabel in which i should have more nearly realized my ideal than i had done in my first attempt but mr wordsworth's industry had proved so much more successful and the number of his poems so much greater that my compositions instead of forming a balance appeared rather an interpolation of heterogeneous matter mr wordsworth added two or three poems written in his own character in the impassioned lofty and sustained diction which is characteristic of his genius in this form the lyrical ballads were published and were presented by him as an experiment where the subjects which from their nature rejected the usual ornaments and extra-colloquial style of poems in general might not be so managed in the language of ordinary life as to produce the pleasurable interest which it is the peculiar business of poetry to impart to the second edition he added a preface of considerable length in which notwithstanding some passages of apparently a contrary import 
he was understood to contend for the extension of this style to poetry of all kinds and to reject as vicious and indefensible all phrases and forms of speech that were not included in what he unfortunately i think adopting an equivocal expression called the language of real life from this preface prefixed to poems in which it was impossible to deny the presence of original genius however mistaken its direction might be deemed arose the whole long-continued controversy for from the conjunction of perceived power with supposed heresy i explained the inveteracy and in some instances i grieve to say the acrimonious passions with which the controversy has been conducted by the assailants had mr wordsworth's poems been the silly the childish things which they were for a long time described as being had they been really distinguished from the compositions of other poets merely by meanness of language and inanity of thought had they indeed contained nothing more than what is found in the parodies and pretended imitations of them they must have sunk at once a dead weight into the slough of oblivion and have dragged the preface along with them but year after year increased the number of mr wordsworth's admirers they were found too not in the lower classes of the reading public but chiefly among young men of strong sensibility and meditative minds and their admiration inflamed perhaps in some degree by opposition was distinguished by its intensity i might almost say by its religious fervour these facts and the intellectual energy of the author which was more or less consciously felt where it was outwardly and even boisterously denied meeting with sentiments of aversion to his opinions and of alarm at their consequences produced an eddy of criticism which would of itself have borne up the poems by the violence with which it whirled them round and round with many parts of this preface in the sense attributed to them and which the words undoubtedly seemed to authorize i never concurred but on the contrary objected to them as erroneous in principle and as contradictory in appearance at least both to other parts of the same preface and to the author's own practice in the greater part of the poems themselves mr wordsworth in his recent collection has i find degraded this prefatory disquisition to the end of his second volume to be read or not at the reader's choice but he has not as far as i can discover announced any change in his poetic creed at all events considering it as the source of a controversy in which i have been honoured more than i deserve by the frequent conjunction of my name with his i think it expedient to declare once for all in what points i coincide with the opinion supported in that preface and in what points i altogether differ but in order to render myself intelligible i must previously in as few words as possible explain my views first of a poem and secondly of poetry itself in kind and in essence the office of philosophical disquisition consists in just distinction while it is the privilege of the philosopher to preserve himself constantly aware that distinction is not division in order to obtain adequate notions of any truth we must intellectually separate its distinguishable parts and this is the technical process of philosophy but having so done we must then restore them in our conceptions to the unity in which they actually coexist, and this is the result of philosophy a poem contains the same elements as a prose composition the difference therefore must consist in a different combination of them in consequence of a different object being proposed according to the difference of the object will be the difference of the combination it is possible that the object may be merely to facilitate the recollection of any given facts or observations by artificial arrangement 
and the composition will be a poem merely because it is distinguished from prose by metre or by rhyme or by both conjointly in this the lowest sense a man might attribute the name of a poem to the well-known enumeration of the days in the several months thirty days hath september april june and november etc and others of the same class and purpose and as a particular pleasure is found in anticipating the recurrence of sounds and quantities all compositions that have this charm superadded whatever be their contents may be entitled poems so much for the superficial form a difference of object and content supplies an additional ground of distinction the immediate purpose may be the communication of truths either of truth absolute and demonstrable as in works of science or of facts experienced and recorded as in history pleasure and that of the highest and most permanent kind may result from the attainment of the end but it is not itself the immediate end in other works the communication of pleasure may be the immediate purpose and though truth either moral or intellectual ought to be the ultimate end yet this will distinguish the character of the author not the class to which the work belongs blessed indeed is that state of society in which the immediate purpose would be baffled by the perversion of the proper ultimate end in which no charm of diction or imagery could exempt the bathylus even of an anacreon or the alexis of virgil from disgust and aversion but the communication of pleasure may be the immediate object of a work not metrically composed and that object may have been in a high degree attained as in novels and romances would then the mere superaddition of metre with or without rhyme entitle these to the name of poems the answer is that nothing can permanently please which does not contain in itself the reason why it is so and not otherwise if metre be superadded all other parts must be made consonant with it they must be such as to justify the perpetual and distinct attention to each part which an exact correspondent recurrence of accent and sound are calculated to excite the final definition then so deduced may be thus worded a poem is that species of composition which is opposed to works of science by proposing for its immediate object pleasure not truth and from all other species having this object in common with it it is discriminated by proposing to itself such delight from the whole as is compatible with a distinct gratification from each component part controversy is not seldom excited in consequence of the disputants attaching each a different meaning to the same word and in few instances has this been more striking than in disputes concerning the present subject if a man chooses to call every composition a poem which is rhyme or measure or both i must leave his opinion uncontroverted the distinction is at least competent to characterize the writer's intention if it were subjoined that the whole is likewise entertaining or affecting as a tale or as a series of interesting reflections i of course admit this as another fit ingredient of a poem and an additional merit but if the definition sought for be that of a legitimate poem i answer it must be one the parts of which mutually support and explain each other all in their proportion harmonizing with and supporting the purpose and known influences of metrical arrangement the philosophic critics of all ages coincide with the ultimate judgment of all countries in equally denying the praises of a just poem on the one hand to a series of striking lines or die-stitches each of which absorbing the whole attention of the reader to itself becomes disjoined from its context and forms a separate whole instead of a harmonizing part and on the other hand to an unsustained composition from which the reader collects rapidly the general result 
unattracted by the component parts the reader should be carried forward not merely or chiefly by the mechanical impulse of curiosity or by a restless desire to arrive at the final solution but by the pleasurable activity of mind excited by the attractions of the journey itself like the motion of a serpent which the egyptians made the emblem of intellectual power or like the path of sound through the air at every step he pauses and half recedes and from the retrogressive movement collects the force which again carries him onward precipitandus as liber spiritus says petronius most happily the epithet liber here balances the preceding verb and it is not easy to conceive more meaning condensed in fewer words but if this should be admitted as a satisfactory character of a poem we have still to seek for a definition of poetry the writings of plato and jeremy taylor and burnet's theory of the earth furnish undeniable proofs that poetry of the highest kind may exist without metre and even without the contradistinguishing objects of a poem the first chapter of isaiah indeed a very large portion of the whole book is poetry in the most emphatic sense yet it would be not less irrational than strange to assert that pleasure and not truth was the immediate object of the prophet in short whatever specific import we attach to the word poetry there will be found involved in it as a necessary consequence that a poem of any length neither can be nor ought to be all poetry yet if an harmonious whole is to be produced the remaining parts must be preserved in keeping with the poetry and this can be no otherwise effected than by such a studied selection and artificial arrangement as will partake of one though not a peculiar property of poetry and this again can be no other than the property of exciting a more continuous and equal attention than the language of prose aims at whether colloquial or written my own conclusions on the nature of poetry in the strictest use of the word have been in part anticipated in some of the remarks on the fancy and imagination in the early part of this work what is poetry is so nearly the same question with what is a poet that the answer to the one is involved in the solution of the other for it is a distinction resulting from the poetic genius itself which sustains and modifies the images thoughts and emotions of the poet's own mind the poet described in ideal perfection brings the whole soul of man into activity with the subordination of its faculties to each other according to their relative worth and dignity he diffuses a tone and spirit of unity that blends and as it were fuses each into each by that synthetic and magical power to which i would exclusively appropriate the name of imagination this power first put in action by the will and understanding and retained under their irremissive though gentle and unnoticed control laxis effeto habenis reveals itself in the balance or reconcilement of opposite or discordant qualities of sameness with difference of the general with the concrete the idea with the image the individual with the representative the sense of novelty and freshness with old and familiar objects a more than usual state of emotion with more than usual order judgment ever awake and steady self-possession with enthusiasm and feeling profound or vehement and while it blends and harmonizes the natural and the artificial still subordinates art to nature the manner to the matter and our admiration of the poet to our sympathy with the poetry doubtless as sir john davis observes of the soul and his words may with slight alteration be applied and even more appropriately to the poetic imagination doubtless this could not be but that she turns bodies to spirit by sublimation strange 
as fire converts to fire the things it burns as we our food into our nature change from their gross matter she abstracts their forms and draws a kind of quintessence from things which to her proper nature she transforms to bear them light on her celestial wings thus does she when from individual states she doth abstract the universal kinds which then reclothed in diverse names and fates steal access through the senses to our minds finally good sense is the body of poetic genius fancy its drapery motion its life and imagination the soul that is everywhere and in each and forms all into one graceful and intelligent whole end of chapter fourteen